share this little story because um, when Brother Titus mentioned 2 Timothy 4 about being ready in, in season and out of season, I couldn't help but think about my dad. Um, those of you all who know my dad, this story will make a little make more sense, but um, his kind of interpretation of that verse, whenever I visit a church, he'll text me or he'll tell me in person, have a bullet in your gun, and that was his way of saying, of saying be ready, which makes sense if you know my dad, is how he, how he talks and communicates. Um, but thankful to be here, and I hope and pray that what I plan to preach to you about will, will tie in to members of one another series that you all are doing here at Heritage. I want to preach from Hebrews chapter 11, reading in verses 24 down through 26. So our text will be Hebrews 11, verses 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, because he had respect unto the recompense of reward. I want to take from my title just choosing God's people, choosing God's people, and I want to look at these three verses in under three headings. Um, relating to the treasure of Moses. First, treasure offered. What was the treasure that was offered to Moses? Next, treasure rejected. Moses rejected this treasure that was offered to him. And then, greater treasure. So, treasure offered, treasure rejected, and greater treasure under this overall heading of choosing God's people. When we're putting one another first, when we're being members one of another, when we're exhorting one another, we're, we're... in some sense of that word, choosing God's people. Um, when you're having to use exhortation, that's not always as pleasant, and so you may not feel like I'm choosing them in the sense that, man, this is just a happy, lovey-dovey moment. But if you're truly exhorting someone in the way that's been taught here at Heritage, you're exhorting them in such a way that you're caring for them, and you're in that way, you're choosing them over yourself because you're working for their good. Moses chose the people of God. He had treasure offered to him. So when did he have this treasure offered to him? When he was called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So you all, I'm sure, are familiar with the story of Moses, but we'll recap. In Exodus chapter 2, um, verses 5 through 10, we read about Moses' parents um, giving him up for fear that he would be, you know, be killed by the um, Pharaoh in Egypt because they were killing uh, Egyptian sons. And he was found, he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter saw Moses' sister Miriam, and she was like, what is, what is this baby doing here? I'm, I'm paraphrasing Exodus 2, 5 through 10. What, what is this baby doing here? And she takes him in and calls, calls Moses her son. And so when Moses was called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he had treasure offered to him. I mean, he was royalty. He became the son of a king in moments. He went from being an abandoned child on the side of the, or not the side of the street, in the, in the rushes, sitting in the rushes, to the son of a king, which just shows how, you know, how life can turn, the tables can turn like that, right? So Moses was called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and by way of being called Pharaoh's daughter, he, he was royalty. He was going to be a king one day, Right? 
So under our first question, we ask, when did, when did Moses have this treasure offered to him? Well, it says in verse 24, it says, when he was called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Exodus chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And Pharaoh's daughter said to Miriam, uh, said to her maid, go. And the maid went and called, um, called the child's mother. I'm reading now in Exodus 2, verse 8. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto Moses' um, mother, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. Um, and the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and Moses became her son, Exodus 2.10. So Moses became her son, and she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I have drew him out of the water. So also interesting note here about, about Moses' mother. Now Moses' mother was a woman of faith, and I, I never really noticed this until studying this out, um, but his, his parents' faith is commended too. Verse 23, by faith Moses, Moses when he was um, born, was hid three months of his parents, right? So what, what's the faith being talked about there? The faith of Moses' parents. By faith when he was born, he was hid three months of his parents. Now it took it, it took faith to let that child go. I mean, if you're Moses' mother, but I think it's, it's, it's interesting to see that she was then given the opportunity to be his nurse and she still had that connection with her son. Um, but, you know, that's just kind of an incidental side note. But nevertheless, Moses was the son of royalty and he had treasure offered to him. But he gave it up. He gave it up. And it's because he saw greater treasure. And I think... The one thing this really spoke to me is, am I, am I willing to give up money? Am I willing to give up jobs? Am I willing to give up, you know, some experiences that seem really important about life and rather choose God's people? Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to miss, you know, really fun sports tournaments and, you know, job opportunities because... Well, the guy I'm going to be working for is not a Christian. You know, um, I'm going to be up at the office until 11 o'clock at night. There's no way I'm going to be able to be with my family and have a Bible time before bed. Um, if I even do get home before like 8, I'm going to be so tired and wore out that I'm not going to be able to minister to them. I'm sure not going to be able to volunteer at church or go to a Christian conference, you know, one weekend because I'm just so wore out with my job. Am I willing to give it up? And I'm not saying you know, just live a life of poverty. But we see that Moses had treasure offered to him by being royalty, and he gave it all up for Christ. Esteeming what, the reproach of Christ, that's why he gave it up. It wasn't just because he had a whim one day and was like, you know what, I don't, I don't need all this luxury. And I mean, no, it was he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches so now we see, see treasure rejected. He was able to reject the treasure that was in Egypt because he found something greater. He found greater riches. What was it? The reproach of Christ. That's awesome. Like, you think that's greater ri- reproach? Reproach means to be the object of people's disapproval and disappointment. That's what I found when I looked up the underlying Greek word. Now, that was surprising because when I think about reproach, I guess I think about more just more obvious malice and just people screaming at you. But 
being the object of people's disappointment or disapproval doesn't have to look like people screaming at you and being mad. It could just look like, you're not going to come with us out tonight? Like, you're, you're not going to... You're not. You're going to go to church and miss the Super Bowl. You can go to church every Sunday. Super Bowl is once a year. I mean, you're really going to miss the Super Bowl for church. That is so lame. Like that suffering reproach, because you're the ob- Because that w- Greek word means the object of people's disapproval or disappointment. And that may seem like wimpy and lame, but we've all been there. And that I mean, that's it's kind of hard when you're the object of people's just disapproval. You're not going to take that job. Like, you were being offered the highest-paying engineering job in Huntsville, and you're not going to take it because you won't be able to come to Wednesday night church. I mean, you can go on Sundays. No, it was because I, I, I esteem the reproach of Christ, like the disapproval and disappointment that I'm receiving from you right now because of Christ. Like, that's what's greater riches to me. That's what was greater riches to Moses. And that's amazing. That is incredible. Now, when we read in um, this paraphrasing back in Exodus chapter 2, it says that it was when Moses was grown. When Moses was grown, he looked and he saw the afflictions of his people. Now, this is in Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. And it came to pass in those days, when Moses was grown, he went out unto his brethren and he looked on their burdens and he, he spied on an Egyptian smiting in Hebrew, one of his brethren, right? And he saw the afflictions. His heart was with them. He chose the people of God, but it was when he was grown. So he wasn't just born as a kid, this love and reproach, love and disapproval, this is great. No, when he was grown. I think about the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. When Moses became a man, he put away childish things. You know, he's like, I don't care if the pharaohs can buy me the best Xbox around. You know, yeah, I can, I can get a Jeep when I turn 16. I can go to summer camp. They got money for days. This is great. You know, when you're a kid, you're just like, what? I'm living with the pharaohs? I mean, Xbox, Jeeps, video games, Full court, basketball court in the backyard. Yes, this is anything I could ever want. But when Moses was grown, he saw the affliction the people of God were experiencing, and he chose them anyway. Because he saw the reproach of Christ as greater riches. We, we, We can only do that through the grace of God given to us. But when God gives us that grace to see the treasure of God's kingdom, then we see it. And Christ is greater treasure, greater than the Xbox, greater than the full court basketball court, greater than um, all this wealth that the pharaohs have. I mean, he could have had, I mean, he was going to be king one day. He could have had any job in Egypt. The pharaohs knew everyone. They were so well connected. But when Moses was grown, he saw Christ as greater riches And he gave it all up. For what? For being the object of people's disapproval and disappointment. Now, why is this important for the Hebrews? When we zone out, we know the book of Hebrews was written to a people that were thinking of turning away from Christ. Why was that? Well, because they were being persecuted. They were being reproached. But what did that reproach look like? 
Well, I think oftentimes it may have looked like being the object of people's disapproval and disappointment. Why would that be? Well, these Hebrew Christians had been Jewish. They'd been just like Paul. They were, you know, the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, and they were just perfect Jewish, works-based salvation people that were, you know, practicing Jews. But the group of people that are being written to in Hebrews had turned from Judaism, they had turned from salvation by the law, and they had turned to salvation by grace through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And because of this, they were suffering affliction in in more than one way. They were being persecuted by the Roman government because Judaism was um, sanctioned by the Roman government. They approved of it. But Christianity was not approved of by the Roman government. So there was affliction coming from Rome. There was... was, um, reproach coming from Rome, but there was disapproval and disappointment. We just said reproach means disapproval and disappointment from other people. There was reproach coming from their own families, right? People being cut off by their family. You're, you're leaving the faith. You're, you're, you're leaving Judaism to follow this lowly man from Galilee. Really, you're abandoning our family. What's that? Reproach. So the Hebrews need to hear this. They need to hear this exhortation because the things which were written aforetime were written for their learning and for their admonition that they through patiently continuing in the scriptures might have hope. Romans 15 verse 4. And what does that do for our faith? It strengthens our faith. So the writer of Hebrews is using this story about Moses to help the perseverance in faith of the modern day or the New Testament Hebrew Christians. So this story about Moses is not just an interesting, fun story. No, it's profitable for doctrine and it's profitable for proof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness. And it's building up their hope because what was written aforetime, according to Romans 15.4, was written for our hope and building up of hope, which is going to help us stay in faith. So Moses is helping their faith. And so God is using this in the perseverance and preservation of the saints as it relates to the Hebrew Christians and as it relates to us also. So Moses saw this treasure. He rejected it because he saw greater treasure in Christ. This is an encouragement to the Hebrew Christians. Christ is greater treasure. Yes, you're being reproached by the Roman government. Yes, you're being reproached by your own family. But you esteem that reproach greater riches because of Christ, because Christ is greater treasure. Christ is greater treasure. Well, why is that? Well, first off, Christ is bringing people into families, right? We're now members one of another. I love that, that wording. It's just so, such a tight-knit, close bond that we have. Psalm um, 68, verse 6, this is one of my granddad's favorite verses, Psalm 68, verse 6 says that God is setting the solitary in families. He is bringing out those which are bound with chains. Isn't that great? God is setting the solitary in families. Like, your family may have cut you off because of your religion. Your family may have cut you off because of decisions. You know, friends may have cut you off. The government may have cut you off. But God is taking people who are solitary and he's putting them in families because of Christ. He's putting us in the family of Christ, right? 
He's taken out those who are bound with chains. Have you all heard of the golden handcuffs? Like people who are rich, they have everything they could want. Kind of like Moses was when he was a kid. Living with the pharaohs, swimming pool, basketball court, you know, Jeep Wrangler. Um, But he was bound with chains. Moses was a victim of the golden handcuffs that we talk about in America today. And it's basically just saying that you're, they're, they're golden because you're rich, but they're handcuffs because you feel like you're in prison. Because for those who are, have been called effectually, like all that stuff can't fulfill us anymore. Like it's just those, those riches are just going to feel like handcuffs. They're going to feel like chains that Psalm 68 verse 6 describes and the reproach of Christ is greater riches. But when we're brought into Christ, God brings us into families, right? Which brings us to our first application. God wants us with his people. Notice what the writer in Hebrews says in verse 26, sorry, 25. Moses chose rather to suffer affliction. Affliction! Like he chose, he chose affliction over all the stuff we've been talking about. Would I be willing to do that if I was in his shoes, living in Pharaoh's house, huge house, nice pool, nice cars, so much respect, everyone in the land loves us, so much power, so much influence, affliction, choose affliction. I'm going to choose that instead. Choosing rather to suffer affliction by himself. He chose rather to suffer affliction all by himself. Nope. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. And so our first application is God wants us with his people. He doesn't call us to suffer affliction and reproach alone. I'll go out to say, I don't think we can do it alone. That's why God's putting us in families. And so we need to prioritize and choose being with God's people whenever possible. Sunday afternoon, Sunday morning, Monday afternoon. Like whenever you get a chance to go get coffee with someone or go visit someone that's a brother or sister in Christ, do it. You don't know how much longer they'll be here. You don't know, um, you don't know how many more chances you'll have. Paul says, redeeming the time, which has also been translated, making the most out of every opportunity. That's Ephesians um, chapter 5. And so God wants us with his people. When he called Moses to suffer affliction, he didn't call him to do it alone. He, he, he called him to suffer affliction with God's people. J.E. Rankin, hymn writer, um, in our book, penned these words, God be with you till we meet again. By his counsels, God uphold you. Then he said this, with his sheep, securely fold you. So J.E. Rankin saw the safety that came from being with the sheep. Now, what does that safety look like? Of being safely secured with the sheep. Okay, look at Hebrews chapter 10 verses 25 through 27. Now, we oftentimes read Hebrews 10, 25. It's kind of a favorite. Hebrews 10, 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, there's one another, as ye see the day approaching. Some people have called that the day of the Lord's second coming. I think it might just mean the day of gathering, because what he's talking about in this context is the day of assembly and being together. So as you see the day of assembly getting closer, exhort exhort one another even more. Love it. 
Sometimes we stop there. We'll keep reading. Because if you read in verse 26, we see the word F-O-R, which means because. So God's about to give the reason through the writer why we should be exhorting one another to gather. Because if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, the gospel, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour which shall devour the adversaries. Now, that's a warning. And now, I think he's not saying, look, you sin one time, then it's just nothing but fiery indignation for you. Because we know salvation is by grace, and praise the Lord for his grace. I rely on it every day. If I didn't have it, I would be no telling where. But if you think about the people he's writing to, he's, he's writing to a people who were considering turning away from Christ, right? In Hebrews 10.35, he says, we're not of those that draw back from Christ unto perdition, but believe to the saving of the soul. And so the type of sin that the writer is addressing is a drawing back from Christ altogether. Giving up the faith. But he's saying here that the reason why we should be exhorting one another to come together is because God is using this to prevent that from happening, right? to prevent a drawing back, right? If we, what's the sin here? The sin is, I think, turning away from Christ. If you just willfully turn away from Christ, then no one should be thinking that there's a sacrifice for that person's sins. You just turn away from Christ, give him up, about face, I'm done with this Jesus stuff. I'm done with the gospel. I'm tired of being the object of people's reproach. Of people's, I'm tired of, of people expressing their disappointment and disapproval of me, and so I'm tired of Christ, and I'm turning away, and I'm drawing back. Like, th- that, that's what the, the writer is trying to offset. So he's saying, if you, if you turn away from Christ willfully after receiving the gospel, don't go on thinking there's a sacrifice for your sins because you don't have that kind of hope. But this is being used as a warning for the people of God so that they persevere in faith. And so God is using passages like Hebrews 10, 26 in his preserving purpose. And he's using exhortations from other believers to keep us in faith. That's what he's saying here in Hebrews 10, 25 through 27. Don't forsake the assembly because God's using that. You know, he guides us with his counsel. Asaph said that. He said, guide me with your counsel in Psalm 73 and afterward receive me into glory. But oftentimes counsel comes through conversations in the lunchroom. Sermons, conversations right back there in that corner, conversations outside during the Fight of Faith conference. Like, this is oftentimes how God is getting his counsel to you. And so he's guiding you with his counsel using the sheep. And that's why there's security with the sheep in a profound way that J.E. Rankin talked about in his hymn. And so lastly, I just want to, we've, we've looked at treasure rejected. He, he, he rejected the treasure in Egypt because he... Um, saw greater treasure, right? So treasure was offered to him. He rejected it. And now I just want to look a little more closely at greater treasure in verse 26. So we'll, we'll just read it through. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, I'm now reading in Hebrews 11:24 24, to get context. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose rather to suffer affliction, not by himself, but with the people of God. He chose this rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Any pleasure you can get from sin, it's for a season. Like, you, you, it's, the devil's so deceiving in thinking that 
This is what you need to make you happy and fulfilled like forever. But just know that if there's any pleasure that comes from sin, it is temporary. It's for a season. And then there's going to be... In Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about um, the way of life that the Roman Christians were living before they became, came to Christ. He said, in those things you are now ashamed. This is around Romans 6, 23. It brings shame. Like sin's going to make you ashamed. And then Paul keeps talking. This is around Romans 6, 23. He says, those things that you used to do, you're ashamed of them. And not only that, they're leading to death. I'm not going to read it, but you can turn there. It's Romans 6, around verse 23. So not only shame, death, eternal death in hell. That's where, that, that's where the pathway of sin away from Christ is leading. That, 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 that's, that's what sin is bringing to people. It's bringing them shame and eternal death and separation from Christ. And so the pleasure from sin is but for a season. So then, verse 26. So how was Moses able to choose rather this affliction with the people of God? Esteeming. He was able to choose this affliction because he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasure in Egypt. And this is the part I I really love. Because he had respect unto the recompense of reward. He had respect unto the recompense of reward. Now, what does respect mean? Respect is, um, the Greek word is um, apoblipo. Kind of a funny sounding word. But apoblipo means this. To look away from all else. This, this, I love this because it brings out so much more meaning in the text. Respect. To look away from all else at one object. What was that one object for Moses? Christ. It was Christ. And like Moses didn't have the full canonized New Testament scripture like we did. God was revealing himself back then. Obviously, he was able to perceive Christ and to see Christ because this is what the text says. I mean, the text says it. It says he was, he was, esteeming, he was esteeming the reproach of someone he really didn't know about. He, he was esteeming approach for some reason, but it wasn't really clear. No. He was esteeming reproach of Christ. Moses saw Christ. Moses the lawgiver. You know, sometimes we talk about Moses like a doctor that committed medical malpractice. It's like, yeah, Moses was telling all those people that salvation came by works, and really it doesn't. And, man, shame on you, Moses. Romans 10, 10, verse 5 says this. Romans 10, verse 5 says that Moses described a righteousness which is of the law. He never prescribed it or prescribed. I'm not an English major. He never prescribed it like a doctor would prescribe a medicine. He never said, do the law and you'll be good and you'll experience salvation. Moses never said that. He described it. And it was his calling of God to be the lawgiver. Moses was the lawgiver. But Moses, the lawgiver, was looking to Christ. And how, like, how important is that for a Hebrew Christian to hear at this time? Like, if you're thinking about turning away from Christ because of reproach and affliction, then if you're in the Hebrews' shoes, you're probably justifying that by saying, oh, but Moses, like, like yeah, I may be turning away from Christianity, but I'm going to Judaism. And I mean, Moses was the lawgiver, so surely I'm justified in given up the gospel because of persecution, because Moses was the lawgiver. No, Moses, is, Moses looked to Christ. Moses, the lawgiver, like, he, he knew the mountain 
of Sinai was no hiding place for him, and he saw Christ, and he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches, and that's why he was able to um, turn away from sin and, and be with God's people. So Moses, the lawgiver, was looking to Christ, and, he, and it was it's said beyond, it's, with great specificity, he esteemed the reproach of Christ. Old Testament, he saw Christ, and that's why he was able to choose to God's people. And he had respect unto Christ. He looked at Christ. He looked. I love that Greek word. He looked away from everything else. He looked away from the riches. He looked away from the, the respect, the power, the influence, the money. He looked away from all of that at one object, and that was Christ. Because he, he, he looked away from all else because he saw the recompense of reward. What does recompense mean? It means compensation or reward given for loss or harm suffered. Man, Moses got, he knew that he was getting compensated way more than he was losing because he was gaining eternal life in Jesus Christ, right? That's what recompense means. It means this is the compensation. This is what you get. You're not, yeah, you get a family now. You get released from the golden handcuffs. You're brought into a family, but you also get glory to come. That's the compensation. That's the reward. That's what we're looking at steadfastly, respect, right? We have respect, We're looking steadfastly away from all else unto the compensation for reward. That's what it means to have have respect unto the recompense of reward. And that's what Moses did. He looked away from all else at Christ because he saw glory to come in Christ, eternal life forever. And brothers and sisters in Christ, that promises to us also, and I'll say this in closing as we just continue to think about greater treasure, Moses suffered affliction with God's people, but it's clear in the New Testament that we're God's, the Gentiles, all manner, all kinds of people in the nations have been brought into the family of God. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul, Paul felt to tell us something that wasn't revealed in ages past. Like this, we didn't know about this. What is it? Ephesians 3, 6. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of all the promises that Moses received in Christ by the gospel. So God is sending the gospel now to the nations. He's calling people by the gospel. And now Gentiles are being called into this family. And Gentiles are having respect. They're looking steadfastly at who? At Christ. Because they see the recompense of reward. They see the compensation for law. Like, man, Christ is so much better than all these temporary, fading, fleeting pleasures to just bring shame and death. Now Gentiles are experiencing that in mass numbers across the world. And how is this happening? By the gospel. This happens by the gospel. And Paul is confident that for those that have experienced salvation, God's going to keep them. God's going to keep you. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, Paul writes when talking to, to Gentiles, to Philippians, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. What are you thankful for, Paul? What are you thanking God for? Philippians chapter 
1, verse 5. I'm thankful for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident. So he uses a semicolon here, which means I'm continuing this thought. Paul is confident in this very thing. He's, he's confident that God, which began a good work in them, is going to keep performing it until the day of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean for Paul? Because God's going to keep performing this work of salvation in the hearts of these Gentile believers, he's going to keep having fellowship with them in the gospel, right? So we see the preservation and perseverance of the saints. God is preserving them. He's begun a good work in them. He's going to keep performing that good work in them. That's the preservation. And then perseverance, fellowship in the gospel. They're going to continue in faith. And it's, story, it, it, it's, it's Old Testament and New Testament passages just like Hebrews 11, 25 through 27 that build up our faith, right? We see what Moses was able to do with God's help. We see that Moses was able to give up everything for Christ, right? And just like Romans 15 verse 4 says, when I see that happening in the life of Moses, that gives me hope. And when I keep going back to the scriptures, patiently, right, continuing, not just like, okay, look at you version one time in the waiting room. No, patient, continuing in the scriptures. When I keep going back to the scriptures, that builds up my hope, that builds up my faith. And so God uses the scriptures to maintain this fellowship in the gospel that we have. And God was using this scripture in the life of the Hebrew Christians, and he's using it for us also, I trust. So we see treasure rejected. We see greater treasure in Christ. Treasure was offered to Moses. He rejected it because he saw greater treasure when he esteemed the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. So let's be like Moses and always choose God's people because when we choose God's people, we choose God and we choose Christ and we choose fellowship in the gospel. I thank you for your kind attention. Thank you, Brother John. Two things popped into my mind while you were, were speaking. The first, when you talked about how we're not to suffer alone to be with the people of God, it reminds me of Elijah and Elisha where Elijah was struggling alone in a cave, thinking it was all alone. God reminds him of the 7,000 that are out there, but it doesn't leave him with that. He says, go out and anoint Elisha to be with you. And from that moment on, Elijah was not alone. He had Elisha with him uh, the rest of his walk here on this earth because we need that fellowship in our sufferings. The other thing that came to mind, Brother John, while you were speaking, was the ultimate form of emptying Moses was giving somewhat of a foreshadowing of what Jesus was to do for us when it says in Ephesians or Philippians chapter 2, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard Equality with God, the thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He gave up all of his glory 
to bring us into his family of fellowship eternally. And that's a beautiful word picture. So thank you, Brother John. Brother Wesley, let's have a song and then we'll be dismissed.